So this is the second in the series on uh, connecting power. We're talking in this whole year, our focus is on trying to live lives that incarnate Christ. In other words, we're trying to live lives that are so reflective of Jesus that people who look at us, they would see Jesus in our lives. Now, I know that that's impossible in, in one aspect and that we are human and we're all different, you know, and we are to an extent all flawed because we are human. It's that human element in us and Christ is divine and he's flawless. But in those crucial times when we're up against the wall, when there's times that we face which are very difficult, that's when we really need to have Jesus working in our lives to bring his presence out in our lives so that we begin to be more like him so people can see the light in us. Amen? Turn to the person beside you and say, Hey, you're shining. Hey, you're shining. Uh-huh. <laughs> now answer them. Turn to the person and tell them. Yeah, not too good. Good. I'm all, uh, it's happening. How's it going? Are you shining? Bright, bright and shining? That's good. Because I know one thing for sure, that um, if the devil can stop the shine, he will. And he'll use just about everything he can to throw at you to try and take the shine away. He will try his darndest to remove Christ from the center of your focus to try and get you to be just like everybody else, hopelessly lost in the pain and suffering of your life. But you are not hopelessly lost in the pain and suffering of your life. You have Jesus there. He is the light of the world and his word gives light unto your feet. And as you acknowledge him, he will make your path straight. And as you set your mind on, he will give you perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. So you can know for sure. You can know for sure, no matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens in, society, in our society, Jesus is at the core of your life and he will in, in, enable you to go through the difficulties. Like we have two, two cyclones coming, beating us down. And, and I just noted to how the... The, the, the TV started to whip it all up and, you know, and, I, and I thought, how much are we a product of the, you know, the conjecture and the stuff that comes across the TV whipping up? And I, I fully believe that you know, it was risky and da- dangerous and stuff like that, but there's a fear and a panic that, that enters into our spirit as we, we yield to the voices of a propaganda world that, that's putting out there and putting out there and putting out there the rubbish that's in the world today. Jesus says... Fill your life with my word. He says, exchange your negative ideas with my ideas and fill your life up with him. Trust not your thoughts. Take his thoughts and make them your thoughts. Take his ways and make them your ways. And even if you don't understand it, press in to him. Can you take that? That's what Jesus says to you today. Even if you don't understand it, press into him. So we're talking about forgiveness today as verse to rejection. Now we've done this before and, and, and I suppose there's a lot of truths in, the, in, in the, the word of God that mean that we go round in circles you know, and we repeat things over and over again because some things are important for us to remember. And so as we're going through basic truths, as we're talking about forgiveness today, a lot of you would have said, oh yeah, forgiveness, that's, that's, but we've got to look at it again and we're going to talk about it again because 
Life sometimes has the way of dredging up stuff and throwing it at you and putting it, presenting it to you to get your eyes off what God is wanting you to say. And so we're going to remind you of forgiveness today. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So he's asking us to incarnate this aspect of God. You know, God forgave you, therefore you forgive others. That's an incarnated truth. If you're looking at God and he's shining forgiveness towards you, then when people are looking at you, you should be shining forgiveness towards them. Sometimes it's hard, hey, because you want to slap them. (laughs) Sometimes the ones that are closest to you are the pain in the neck. They're the ones that you don't want to forgive. You know, they're the ones that you don't want to have to tolerate the nonsense that comes from them. I mean, those kids, they, they ought to know by now and they just don't get it by now, you know, and you have to live your life forgiving. And that, that spouse of yours that keeps on talking to you and saying things that you, you don't need to hear, you know, you need to keep on addressing that, you know, and thinking, you know, what do I do now? I've just about had it up to here now, I'm going to let it go, you know, and Jesus says, be shining, forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's a wonderful thing. And unique for Christianity. Oh, yes, you know, there's lots of forgiveness in lots of different faiths. You know, the Buddhists will teach you how to forgive from a Buddhist perspective, how to forgive one another. Islam has a certain idea of forgiveness, the merciful God, I suppose, if you can find it. Um, in a lot of the other faiths, there's, there's truths and ideas that relate to forgiving. But Christianity is unique, unique in this one thing. In all other faiths, there is no, no idea of God forgiving man that is unique to Christianity. That's the only one. All other faiths, you've got to work out your salvation. You've got to work at it really hard. You've got to do things to try and get the approval of a, of a stern and austere God. But in Christianity, we have this wonderful truth that God would forgive us. Of our sins, and it's unique to Christianity. There is no other faith in the world that has that concept. Forgiveness defined in the scripture is, is defined by a lot of different words. Pardon and forgiveness are the direct meanings of the word. To lift up or to bear is an idea of forgiveness. If you're forgiving somebody, you're lifting up and you're bearing with them. To cover, to let pass. To take away or to hide. So somebody might say something to you very nasty and you just let it pass. That letting it pass and ignoring it is an act of forgiveness. You wouldn't have thought that, would you? You might have heard it, it might have registered, it might have stuck in your crop and you've got it inside, you can walk away and you can say, that person just said these words to me, but you let it pass. You let it pass, you didn't say anything to them. That's an act of forgiveness. To take away, to hide, to wash and to purify. They're all words. They have other words that hold the nuance of uh, forgiveness. Are the, Trampling underfoot. Jesus says he takes our sins and he tramples them underfoot. He, he, put, he puts them as far as the east is from the west. He throws them into the depths of the sea. They're all words that have this idea, this color of forgiveness. Uh, as though he, he blots them out like a thick cloud, it says, as though they had never been committed. The sins were taken away as the, and you were viewed as though you had never committed a sin before. Isn't that amazing that God would look at you and even though you're battered for the other side, Phil, when he looks at you now, 
He sees his man. He doesn't see you batting for the other side. That's gone. That's thrown into the sea of his forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, he can't remember that anymore. I mean, you can remember those things, hey. You can remember them really well. But Jesus doesn't remember them. I mean, he's infinitely good at remembering a whole lot of things, but the blood of Jesus is infinitely powerful. Because when the blood of Jesus washes your sin away, it's not there any longer. And God cannot see it because it is gone. It's blotted out like a thick cloud. Amen? Oh, what a wonderful truth. Just stop and meditate on that for a while and let Jesus soak that into your skin for a while. Jesus forgives me. Jesus forgives me. Say it to yourself. Jesus forgives me. He forgives me of all my sins. Amen. So forgiveness, let's try and understand forgiveness. It's really a, a, um, it's, it's the opposite of law and justice, really. So when we're talking about forgiveness, there is no capacity in the law to forgive you. Okay? Law has no capacity to forgive. Law requires judgment and requires justice. Justice requires judgment, and judgment means that there is no mercy. If you've done something wrong, the law, the law requires that you pay for that thing to be done. So forgiveness, if you, if you try, and, try and understand it from a premise of law, you can't get it. It's, it's, it's opposite to what the law requires. If the law tries to give you forgiveness, it seems to be unlawful. And, and, and in Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews said it really clearly. It says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see, see, you can't get forgiveness from law unless something dies and sheds its blood. That's the requirement. Justice must be done. Judgment must be executed. There is no mercy until something has died. And then when something has died and we have the blood of that animal or the blood of that person and it's there in front of you, then we can be merciful because the price has been paid. The shedding of blood has provided a way for mercy, has provided a way for forgiveness. But prior to that, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And that's exactly why justice demands death. For all have sinned and fall, fallen short of the glory of God, it says in Romans. And for the wages of sin is death. That The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ. And so this whole idea of having forgiveness runs contrary to the law. It, you, can't, you can't think of forgiveness and think of law at the same time and, and say, you know, God in his lawfulness will give us, he, he can't. He has, to, he has to judge you. If he's a law-abiding God, he has to judge you. You've seen these faces in the news, Andrew Chan and uh, uh, his, his Myron uh, Maran. <laughs> You're the other guy. Uh, everybody's pleading for mercy. Now, we, we, we've, heard, we've heard the... Um, We've heard Turnbull say uh, that mercy is a, uh, and being forgiving is a stronger love, a, a, a display of strength, and he appealed on to the Indonesians to, to be strong in terms of uh, recognizing that the rehabilitation is done and stuff. And uh, then we, 
We've heard other people arguing other cases. You want mercy for your people. Why don't you give mercy back? Then we, we go back and we, and we look at the president and the president is saying, no mercy. No mercy. Uh, there's a number of reasons why he's saying no mercy. And I, I personally think that they will probably be shot within the next couple of weeks. It's not nice to think of that and we would like them to be rehabilitated and we'd like to have mercy. But law requires judgment. It does not have any scope for forgiveness. And so the president recognizes that if he does not fulfill what he is obliged to fulfill by law, he will be seen to be weak because law must bring judgment. This is, this is a legal matter. They broke the law. They knew that the law said that they, they, if you brought drugs into the country, you, you could be shot, you could be killed. They knew that. They, they took it into the... And that was fine. They, 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 they gambled with their lives. They got caught. It's, it's terrible. It's horrible. They've had a heart change and they, they want to go on now. They had 10 years of rehabilitation and they're not the same men that they used to say. We've had the arguments. Those people were dead, you know, that, that if they shot them now, they'd be shoot, shooting a pastor and they'd be shooting an artist. That, those arguments. But the law said that they had guilt and then the guilt requires that they would be punished for the guilt. That's the law. So the president's in a difficult place. Now, if he listens to the people outside, that's the rest of the world. The rest of the world is saying, show clemency, show mercy. It's a, a display of strength. His own people say, if you show mercy, we know you've taken a bribe. We know you're corrupted. We know somebody's paid you off. Because if mercy comes now and not justice and not judgment, you are corrupt. And where there is mercy and no judgment, there is always corruption. Because law requires judgment and you cannot escape it. And if law does not bring judgment and you are set free with no judgment, then as a judge who presided over you, he's been corrupt. Because the law requires judgment. You get that? It requires judgment. We can pray for these young men. They've had 10 years to think about their lives and to get their lives sorted out before God. Some of you might not have 10 seconds. Some of you may just face God, bang, like that. You won't get time to sort it out. This mercy here, from God's economy, if, if they end up dying in the next two weeks, they've had time to meet their maker and to sort it out. I don't like the idea of them being shot. It doesn't sit well with me. I know the mercy of God, but that we're not talking about a world that understands God's mercy. We're talking about a world that understands law. So forgiveness is it's nothing to do with law. That's why it's really important for us to understand it because justice and judgment are the habitation of God's throne. So God is fully just and judge as a judge and he will execute judgment on all those who are sinners, which makes us all very uh, guilty before him because there are none that are righteous. We all stand before him. We're all guilty. And so if it wasn't for the fact that he had a way around that problem, we would all die. We would all be sent to eternal damnation. 
He says, mercy and truth shall go before thy face, it says in Psalm 89. So God has this incredible sense of tension in his character. On the one hand, he is holy, and in his holiness, everything that is right must be upheld, and, and everything that is wrong must be judged. And so he must, in his holiness, exercise justice and judgment to those who break the rule. Well, we know what the rules are. You have a conscience. The conscience tells you what the rules are. And if your conscience is playing up on any point in your life, you know that you have broken a rule. You have that witness on the inside. The law of God is written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we get that testimony on the inside the minute we do wrong. How many people felt wrong this week? Well, that's it. So you, got, you got it, you see. So we're continuously breaking stuff. So his holiness requires that judgment comes to us and justice is worked out toward us. So he, in his love, he would discipline us. Endure hardship as discipline, it says, for God is disciplining you as children. So you may go through some difficult times because you misbehave and God brings some certain things into your life that cause your life to be afflicted by some hardship. And you say, oh, this is horrible. This is and God says, have I got your attention? I'm bringing some hardship on your life because I want you to get focused again. You're letting your mind drift. Get your mind back onto me. The hardship that he brings into our life is there to redeem us. And the fruit of that hardship is righteousness. It should bring in us a, a producing an attitude of righteous living so that we learn to say no to ungodliness and yes to him. So that's the hardship. That's God bringing justice. He's not putting us to death, but he's disciplining us children and bringing us into a place of, 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 of further walk, a better walk in him. And we'll go through that in our lives. And don't shy away from that. Don't, don't get upset when, when you get through a hard uh, situation or a tough patch in your life. Press into God and let him do something in your life because the hard times in your life are the times when he's polishing the diamond, getting you ready to shine for him. So you've got all that holiness and justice and judgment on one side. And on the other side, you've got this wonderful love that's coming from God, this infinite love that comes from God, who even though he wants to smack you and punish you and send you to hell because of your sin, he also wants to show mercy to you and forgiveness to you and, and pour out his love upon you, his unconditional love, which is not conditioned on your good behavior. His unconditional love that doesn't say you have to jump through all these hoops so that you can get my favour and approval. His unconditional love that is there for you every day in every situation, even when you are rebelling against him. So this is a tension in the Godhead. And that is perfected in the, in the work that Jesus did on the cross. And this verse really sums it up. And I want to read it to you, these verses from Colossians. This is the basis for all forgiveness in our lives. For God was pleased to have all the fullness of dwell in him. So all of God's fullness dwelt in Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So here we have, there's the, there's the point. The shed blood on the cross, making peace. There's no peace without the shed blood. Turn to somebody and say, the blood's got to be shed. No blood, no peace. No blood, no peace. Jesus came to die so that he could reconcile. He could bring you back to God. 
That he put all, God put all of his fullness in Jesus. So here we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all in Christ, and now nailed to the cross in the sense, shedding his blood so that you can be brought back into fellowship with God. Because without that, there can be no forgiveness. Once the blood is shed, we have something there to sprinkle on the mercy seat. So the seat, the mercy seat on the Ark of Covenant was sitting there, the angels covered around. They brought the blood and they sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. And then when it hit the mercy seat, the price had been paid for forgiveness to be to outflow to us. Somebody had died. So grace could be shown. The price had been paid. Somebody paid the bill. Somebody paid the bill. Somebody paid the bill I owed. That meant that I could go before God and say, I'm free of debt. And then I could walk with him and talk with him and have fellowship with him. Free of debt. It says in verse 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Enemies from God. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That's the wonderful work of Jesus on the cross. Isn't that great, eh? That Jesus would shed his blood to make us holy, to clothe us with not our righteousness, but to clothe us with his righteousness. And so that when God the Father looked at us, what he saw was the righteousness of Christ over us. And it was covering all of our iniquity, covering all of our sin, covering all of our shortcomings, covering all of our weaknesses, covering all of our mental blocks, all the things that we've ever done wrong. It was all covered and he just looked at us and all he could see in us was the incarnated Christ coming back at him. Amazing, isn't that amazing? Eh? I tell you, when you stand before God, you'll be conscious of that because the eyes of God will look at you fiery eyes burning at you and you'll be conscious that it's the love of God that's embracing you and he's only embracing you because Jesus is all over you Jesus makes the difference and so for the believer forgiving is not optional it's commanded so if Jesus has done that for us then we're told that we should have the same love and the same forgiveness for others. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, and if you have time, that's a good read. That, that, just that chapter is a great read if you have time to go through and read about forgiveness because it's a, it's a, it's a parable and it's a couple of little statements. And you, you know how you like to read a little story, something that will captivate your mind and, and get you thinking? That's one of these, this is one of those things. You can put yourself in there and, and create a little video mind, thing going on in your mind. Do you do that when you read the Bible? Sit down and start to create a little video in your mind and, you know, start putting that thing in motion in, in your head, start seeing it played out. That's what I do. I just sit there and I think about it. I meditate about it. What would that be like for this man? What would that be like for what's going on there? So Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Uh, should I forgive him seven times? I mean, seven is the number of God. Should I forgive seven times? And Jesus replied to him in verse 22, I do not say seven, but 70 times seven. So there's this infinite sort of sense of continue to forgive and don't stop forgiving. If he comes to you and repents, keep on, keep on, keeping on forgiving him all the time, 
all the time. Just like your heavenly Father keeps on forgiving you, you just keep on forgiving them. It just keeps on flowing. And so for Peter to get the picture, Jesus tells Peter a story. Now, Jesus loves telling stories. I like that he tells stories because I'm a bit of a... I, you know, give me the words, but if you give me a story, it's, it's better for my mind, you know? So he gives them a story. He says, this is a king. And he owns lots and lots of money. And he's got lots and lots of servants, and he's given them lots and lots of money and responsibility. And he's going to now call up his servants to give an account. And he calls up one gentleman to him. He says, now give an account. And it was found that this young gentleman had 10,000 talents owing the king. Now let's, let's get a bit of a picture of how much that money is. 10,000 talents. Well, a denarii is one day's work. One talent is 16 years' work. See the difference? One denarii is about 100 bucks. A talent is 16 years of wages. So he owed 160,000 years of wages. That was his debt. Chances of paying it back in a lifetime? Pretty slim. In a hopeless situation? Absolutely. How did he get in that situation? I'm not sure how he got in that situation, but he was in that situation. He was 160,000 years in debt. Uh, a talent is, is 20 to 40 kilos of gold. That's what a talent they say is. So it's about 16 years at, at the price when they did the work. It was about 16 years of like So 10,000 of those is 10,000 times 16, which is what? Yeah, a lot. So he had no chance, absolutely no chance in actually repaying it. And so he's begging the king. He's getting down there, he's begging the king. The king says, you know, we're going to sell you, we're going to sell your wife, we're going to sell your kids, we're going to sell everything you got and we're going to try and repay that. Well, is he going to repay the debt? No, nothing is going to repay the debt. The debt is too big for it to be repaid by his wife, his kids. He could sell half the country and still not repay the debt. The debt is too big to be repaid. There's only one option, you know. You, I can't get my money back. God says, I can't. The king says, there's no way I'm going to get any money back. You know, what I'm going to get back by putting him in jail is going to be not satisfactory anyway. And then it says that he is moved in his bowels. I like that. The King James. I like the King James. You like that? He is moved in his bowels. The king is moved in his bowels. I like that. We'd say, uh, you, you know, I'm, I got it in my heart. You know, but the, back then it was their bowels, you know. Back for the, for the Greeks, and for the, they, they, that was where it all happened. If you wanted to have compassion on somebody, and, if you, and had, you, had, you just sit there and you go, oh, you fell for them, you know? You just, oh, and you got, oh, you, you put your hand on your, on your belly, and that's where you fell. It was, it was deemed to be the source of compassion or the place where mercy and pity would come from your heart or from here, the center or the core of you. So they say, and it was moved by his bowels. That meant he had great compassion on him. So the king was not unrelated to the, to the servant. The servant was begging his, begging his heart out to try and get some reprieve. He didn't know. And the king says, okay, I'm watching you. I have pity on you. And I forgive the debt. I forgive the debt. It's gone. Amazing. Do you know how much debt you were in, servant? 
You're in 160,000 years of debt. Do you understand how big that debt is, servant? No, I have no, no comprehension of the size or the enormity of my debt, so I have no sense of how great the forgiveness was. If you don't see how big the debt is, you get no picture of how great the mercy is. If you don't see how bad the sin is, you get no picture of how great the cost to redeem you is. If you are disassociated from the problem and you think that the forgiveness is easy, you won't show forgiveness to others because you don't deem yourself as God in anything anyway. It was just lucky you got out of there alive. Maybe this is how he thought. That's the only way I can think that he's thinking. He doesn't understand 160,000 years and where it was going to take him. He didn't understand the enormity of his guilt before the king. Because when he left that place, he found a man who owed him 100 denarii, 100 days' work. And the Bible says he seized him and put his hands around his throat and said, Pay me what you owe me! And he would not have mercy. And he delivered him the prison now there's a problem here I mean I I know what Jesus is trying to say in in telling us the story but there's a problem with the man who doesn't show mercy and I want to deal with that I want to talk about what would have got into that man's head that he wouldn't show mercy after being shown shown such great compassion and mercy what would it you know and I I only come up with one thing in my mind it's just blaming You know, if I was in debt that much, it obviously isn't my fault. It's all the little jerks that I handed money to along the way. And it's their fault. That's why I was so much in debt. Now, I've been forgiven the debt. I'm not even associating myself with the redemption that has just been exercised to me. I'm still thinking about the fact that these people owe me money. And that's why I was in that horrible predicament. And I'm going to go and find one of those. I'm going to tack it down. I'm going to put my hands around their throat and scream at them. You give me what I owe me now. You see... The forgiveness was nothing to this man. It was obviously nothing to this man because he didn't sit there and wake in it and feel the great love that had been shown him and bask in it. All he was thinking about was the reason why he had found himself there and blaming somebody else for his problem. Now, Friends, forgiveness starts with you understanding your responsibility in the problems that you face in life. Forgiveness starts with you taking hold of your own life and saying, I am responsible before God for where I am. And my problem is before God, it's me, not anybody else. Don't blame your mum. And don't blame your dad. And don't blame your life situations. And don't blame your raising. And don't blame the country in which you came from or what you're going to. Don't blame anybody else. You don't need to blame people. You need to understand that you are forgiven. And that there is nowhere in your soul left to look around and say, they are the ones who caused me to be in this place. No, you are the one that took your sin 
You are the one that is responsible before God. Not at some other person who owes you something, who doesn't speak nice to you. Not some person who did you wrong when you were growing up. Not some daddy who did something to you and made your mind go all funny. Not anything. Nothing in your past has had any influence on your debt before God. Your debt before God is your debt before God. Friends, therefore bask in the forgiveness and let it soak down to the very core of your being so that there is nothing but lovely blessings flowing from you from this time on because he has forgiven all of your iniquities, has cleansed you from all of your sins, has taken away everything that is out against you and nobody, nobody else is to blame. Now you can bask in his love and reflect it to others. You see, I thought about that, man. I thought, why would you do that? And the only thing I could come up with is that he doesn't understand how much God loved him and forgave him. He was too busy chewing over what he thought were the reasons that got him there and held that in his heart. Inoculated against forgiveness. Even though that had been shown him Unable to experience it because he's too busy blaming somebody else for his predicament. Think about it. You always come to that part when it's like the people that you have to forgive. You know, you, the people that come into your life that, that do something that hurt you and they remind you of something or they reflect something to you and you get that thing, it comes back into your head again and it's like, you know, just like your mother or just like your father or just like this or just like that and it just keeps on going over and over again and you, listen, listen, listen. Let God's grace soak deep into the core of you. It was your debt that he paid. It was your debt that he forgave. And because he forgave you that debt, then you should be forgiving to others. So what are some of the barriers to forgiveness? We don't like forgiving others because forgiveness somehow dismisses the offender's moral responsibility. When it comes to the guy who owes me a hundred denarii, they owe me a hundred denarii. You know, that's I mean, irrespective of what I owed the boss, he owes me. It doesn't matter what what happened over here, but he owes me. I'm just holding that now. I'm not letting that go. That's the that's the reality. Forgiveness forgives that. It says, okay, you don't have any moral responsibility toward me to pay that back now. Because I don't have any reason to have any money from you because my debt's been forgiven. But you have to deal with that before your servant king or your king because you have to deal with that. With Not me. I'm not your judge. I don't have any debt with you now because my debts have been paid, which was one of yours. But it's been paid. It's, I'm free from debt now, but you've still got to face the king yourself. You still got to do a recollection with him. So I'm out. 
See, forgiveness says it somehow dismisses that person's guilt. Well, it doesn't. That person's guilty before God. Every man stands before God. Every person stands. And, and just because you forgive them doesn't mean that you're letting them go free. No, you're not letting them go free. You are taking yourself out of the equation and saying, I'm not going to be bound up in there with that rot any longer because I was forgiven. And I'm not living there with those chains. And sometimes you think you've got to feel it. You know, forgiveness must be felt before you can express it to somebody. Now, wait just a minute. You'd have to go away and come back next week. I'm not feeling it today. I'm not feeling it. No, every time I see your face, I want to punch it. So just go away until I can see your face and I don't feel like I want to punch it. I've got to be feeling it. All right, you'll come and then you'll start crying. (laughs) Please, Mark, please forgive me. And I'll look at your tears and I'll start saying, oh, you're getting to me. Or maybe, okay, I'll forgive you now. Well, because I'm feeling it. You see, people are more likely to forgive if they see some contrition on the other side. But you just don't want to forgive somebody who's not sorry for their sin, do you? So if your husband does the trick on you and he, he, he cheats with another woman and he comes home and says, oh, well, that's the way it is, that's life, it happens. And there's no contrition. There's no sense of, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for hurting you. I'm sorry for hurting the kids. I'm sorry for hurting the church. I'm sorry for... There's no... That just happens in life. It just happens. So get over it. it you just say, well, I'm not going to forgive because, you know, I, not until I see some sense of repentance or some sense of... Listen, you don't have to see contrition for you to forgive. You just have to forgive. It will stop you from forgiving if you think you have to see something. Forgiveness does not mean that it's a once and for all thing that takes place. Forgiveness means every day you'll have to see that face again and have to forgive again. So forgive again. It doesn't mean you're going to forget it. You may never be able to shake it. It may hurt you so deeply that the scar will be there for the rest of your days. You might not forget it, but you've forgiven it. You might not forget it, but you've forgiven it. Forgiving is not agreeing to trust an untrusting, untrustworthy person. It's not saying, okay, I'll trust you again and I'll put myself at risk again just because I've forgiven you. No, no, that's daft. That's just plain stupid. Forgiveness is, okay, you heard me, I forgive you. I'm not letting it stick with me anymore. But you know what? We have a problem with trust. And nah, no thank you. That's not going to be that. Until trust is fixed up, that's a different issue. Okay? And forgiveness means I have to, it doesn't mean that I have to passively tolerate continued abuse and injury. Some people come in and they're mean to you. You know, they're just plain old mean. You know, some people get off on being mean. Have you, do you know people who get off on being mean? Like they, get, they wake up in the morning and their whole... I, I, I am in right in life because usually the people who are mean are right in life. I am right in life and all things that I think are right and anybody else who doesn't think like me is wrong. And so therefore, as I go through life and I see people who think differently to me, I'm going to let them know that they are wrong and their whole lives are mean. They're they're a whole mean expression of, there's no grace about them. They're just telling you where your faults are all the time. You're just like, you know, I don't want to be around those people. And and that abuse, you know, I forgive them for that. You know, I forgive them for saying those things. I forgive them for saying those things to me. I forgive them. And, you know, here they come again. You know, I have an option. I can say, no, see you later. I'm not going to hang with you. I'm not going to be your friend. 
I'm out of here. I, I forgive you, but I can choose my friends, and you ain't one of them. Forgiveness does not mean you have to stay there and take it all the time. It means that you don't carry it with you. And forgiveness means the same. It doesn't mean the same as reconciliation. When you have reconciliation, you're saying these two are coming back together again like God reconciles to him, us to himself. So he comes and he pulls us back together to him. So we are one with God again. Forgiveness doesn't mean that that would take place. It just means that the pain of whatever has taken place is forgiven. It doesn't necessarily mean that there'll be reconciliation. It might, there may be reconciliation, but it doesn't mean that there will be reconciliation. Sometimes there is no reconciliation. So... That's some ideas on forgiveness. So I want you to think about that today. I want you to think about the future and where you're going in the future and what you're doing in the future. And I want, to think, I want you to think about how God has done this amazing work to bring you to a place where there is no debt left on your life before him. There is absolutely nothing left residue from your past life. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now that you're in this new place, let go of the blaming, the judgments. Let go of the stuff that would pull you back and tie you into the old life. And treat everybody around you with the same grace that God had poured out upon you. Remember, he said, pray this way. Pray this way. Father, forgive them as we forgive them that have wronged us. Help us to forgive them, that those who have wronged us. And then he goes on at the end of that prayer and he says, if you don't forgive somebody who has wronged you, he says, then you will not be forgiven. Simple. Simple as that. The enormity of your sin was so big, his forgiveness was so immense, that if that doesn't rock you to the core of you, you need to go back to that time when you were kneeling before him, get a load of your sin and pick it up and play with it until it makes you vomit and sick, leave it at his feet, Bask in his forgiveness. Get up and walk free. If you don't understand how much he's forgiven you, you won't be forgiving to others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us to be forgiving. Help us to shine your forgiveness to others. Help us to understand the enormity of our guilt before you. Help us to understand the, the depths of the suffering that Christ went through to bring us to the feet of, of God and to be reconciling us to God. Help us to understand the great weight that he's lifted from our lives and help that to, Lord, that life and that freedom that we have in you to be so in us that we share it and pour it out to all those, even those that are considered to be our enemies, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be your reflection in this sick world, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.